The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. We began yesterday looking at the breastplate of righteousness, which is the second item of the spiritual armor that God has given us in the spiritual battles that we face here in this world. Today we continue looking at this item of armor. We see that it's not just the imputed righteousness of Christ that we're talking about here. Certainly you have to have the imputed righteousness of Christ before you can even engage in the spiritual warfare that we have here. But the breastplate of righteousness is talking more about our own personal holiness, our actions here, and how we live our life. Join us today as we see a little more about the breastplate of righteousness and how our own personal righteousness protects us in the spiritual battles that we face. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Hail the days of long expected, hail the year of
conscience work. Well, turn with me back over to, to Romans chapter uh, 2. This gives us a good description here of how our conscience works. Now, there's a lot of preaching in this, in this chapter here uh, that I won't go into too far, but let me just say that one of the primary things we should take away from these verses in, in Romans chapter 2 is, is the idea that God will cause his children to be born again apart from ever hearing the gospel. Now, some do hear the gospel first. Some hear it simultaneously, but God's children are born again independent of whether they ever hear the gospel because what he does is he writes the laws in their hearts, you see. And in fact, that's what he's saying here. He's saying in this chapter that, hey, I know you Jews think that you're the only ones, but I've got people among the Gentiles as well. Because he says in verse 13, not the hearers of the law are just before, the, before, before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Well, how can you do the law if you don't know the law? He tells us about writing the law in our hearts. And notice what he says, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, they have not heard the law. It says, though, when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Well, how do they know what the law is? They may not see it with their eyes, but it's written in their hearts, you see. We notice here in verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Every born-again child of God has the law written in his heart, his or her heart. We talked about that some time back. What, what law are we talking about? Primarily the law of love. If you find someone who... Who, who lives out the law of love, that's evidence that the law of love has been written in their heart, you see. Whether or not they're a churchgoer, whether or not they've heard the gospel, the law of love is written in the heart by the Holy Spirit. And, and that law of love is demonstrated in their actions. And notice how it works. It says, they sh these that do the law, it says, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Now, what does the conscience do? And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or also or else excusing one another. See, when we've been born again, we've got a conscience. You know, it's not Jiminy Cricket sitting on our shoulder, but it's the law of God written in our hearts. And that's why you read about people like Elder Martin Anyani, who told us again when he visited here over at Brother Tim's house about how that there was a time when he was engaged in all sorts of wickedness and it didn't bother him a bit. And before he ever heard the truth of God's grace, he began to be convicted about it. He began to, you know, the things he enjoyed were no longer fun. <laughs> the things he used to do, he didn't do anymore because, why? Because he had the law of God written in his heart through the new birth, you see. He had the law of God. And so now his conscience began to bother him when he did the things that he should not do that went, a, that went contrary to the law of God written in his heart. And the thoughts either accuse or excuse you. Don't you have that same experience? I do. When I do something, especially those, of, those who now have the Word of God and know what the Word of God says, they know... You know that you ought to be long-suffering and patient, right? And yet, if you're like me, there are times you're not. <laughs> there are times you're not. You know, you know what happens? My conscience convicts me. My, my thoughts won't excuse me when I'm 
snapping, snapping at people, when I'm being short-tempered with people, when I'm angry without a cause. My thoughts, and I try to justify them, yeah, but my thoughts ultimately won't because that law is written in my heart and I know what the Word of God says. That's the way the conscience works. And you know where I feel it? More than any place else. When I've done wrong, right in here. You ever had a stomach ache because you felt so guilty about something you've done? I have. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm different. But I've, I've made myself physically sick over something that I've done that I knew was wrong, you see. We are unprotected without that breastplate of righteousness. If we don't put on those, that practical godliness, our conscience is going to be assaulting us daily. And I'll come back to this in a moment, but... When I'm being assaulted by my conscience, I'm just no good for the kingdom of God. We are unprotected without it. We are unprepared without it. Listen, it's a race, child of God. Over in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he tells us, he says, Seeing that we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What? The writer of Hebrews is basically saying is put on the breastplate of righteousness. Lay aside those weights. Lay aside the sin. Can you imagine? You know, I, 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 I am amazed constantly at Mason and some of these other CrossFit athletes. You know, I hadn't been down there in a while, I confess. It's probably evident. <laughs> but when I go down there and we got this program to follow, you know, so many push-ups, so many sit-ups, so much weight lifting, and especially the running or, or the box jumping, jumping up and down off the boxes and all that, stepping up. And some of these guys go over there. I saw I've seen Mason do it. I saw my, my, my nephew Heath do it, you know, one of those big workout days. And they get ready to do this. And I'm thinking, you know, I think, what was it, a thousand step-ups step was the most recent special workout. You had to step up on this 24-inch box a thousand times to, to complete the workout, okay? And I'm already tired before I start. <laughs> And I'm thinking, man, that's going to be rough. I did it. I didn't do it this year. I did it last, last Veterans Day. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe I can make it through. Then I look over at these young guys, and they've got this vest with weights in it. And they put the vest on. And they're not just going to do the step-ups like I'm going to do, hopefully. They put the weight. They put 50 pounds of weight or 25 pounds or 100 pounds of weight on, and they get up there and do it. Can you imagine trying to run uh, – a marathon with all these weights on. Think about the sprints. Think about the 100-yard dash in the Olympics. How, how, how crazy would it be for one of the runners to go out there and say, okay, give me my, give me my dumbbells. I'm ready to run. <laughs> you know, It just would slow you down. He says, lay aside the weight. Lay aside the weight. What's the weight he's talking about? The sin. The sin that does so easily beset us. I tell you, I think he's talking about all kinds of sin there. I, I, I know he's talking about any kind of sin that can afflict you. But I want you to know that, at least in my life, there's certain besetting sins, I call them. Sins that are more common. Sins, you know, I don't really struggle with going out and trying to rob a bank. You know, that's just not my my primarily primary besetting sin. I'm, I, don't, I don't have a real hard time... Uh, riding down the road and 
you know, seeing somebody and want to jump out and beat them up. You know, I just, I just don't, I mean, I, it'd be probably pointless anyway at my age and in my condition today. But, uh, but, you know, that's not something I really struggle with. But I struggle with some sins. I struggle with being short-tempered. I struggle with other sins that I'm not going to confess to you. They keep coming back. And he says, lay aside the weight and the sin which doth so easily beset you. What is your besetting sin? That's, you know, that's the first step in helping yourself is figuring out what the problem is. What's your problem? I have to sit down sometimes and self-reflect. Is my problem uh, anger? Is my problem uh, foul language? Is my problem, uh, you know, some people have a problem with lying. I knew, a, I knew a coach one time in high school that he would climb a pole to tell a lie when it'd be simpler and better to stand flat-footed on the ground and tell the truth. You see, some people have a struggle with that. What is your besetting sin? Is examine yourself, you see. Because if the sin of the besetting sin stay with you, you're running a race. You're not just standing still. You're not reclining on the couch. It's a race. He uses that terminology to describe our daily walk. It's a battle. You know, as we said in that song I like so much, it's a battlefield, son, not a recreation room. <laughs> We're not playing here. It's a battle. Every day is a struggle. You know, sometimes I used to get up and say, Lord, why is it so hard? The true, the true question I should be asking is, Lord, why is it not harder? <laughs> why are we surprised that it's hard? Because the enemies are out there, the world and the devil, but the enemy's also in here, the flesh. You see? It's always with us. If we could exclude the world and exclude the devil, we'd still have the flesh to contend with. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherein, wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. He says we're to walk worthy. Did you know that he told us back over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship created in, the Christ, in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The absoluter would change that to a shall and say, well, he's predestinated, absolutely predestinated everything that you do, including your good works. We're not absoluters. He didn't say shall. He says should. You ought to. He says, I want you to walk worthy. You're to do good works, you see. There's some choices we make in life. It's not the choice to go to heaven, but it's the choice to whether or not we act like we're going to heaven. <laughs> it's a battle, you see, to, to walk in a way that's unworthy of the calling, child of God, is to march into battle with a chink in your armor. Some of you younger folks will get this. Some of you older ones, maybe not so much. But you know, there was a great book series of books called The Lord of the Rings, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. The precursor to that was The Hobbit, and it's been made into some pretty big movies lately. But one of the premises in that Hobbit movie was they were going to slay a dragon. And, of course, you can't imagine these little people, dwarves and, uh, and hobbits and weak, you know, that they're not necessarily great warriors and all that, going to slay a dragon. Dragon with all of his armored, his armored flesh, all of his power, 
But in, I'm, I, I'm spoiler alert, I'm about to tell you a little bit about the end of it if you hadn't read it. But uh, if you recall in that story, as the great dragon smog began to fly over the city of Dale, uh, a little bird told the archer that there was one place where there was a, a piece of the armor, a piece of that armored flesh missing. And sure enough, that, that archer found the spot and fired the arrow and was able to get that arrow in just the right spot where the armor was missing. If our armor has a chink in it, the devil will find it. We need to have the armor that has no chinks in it. To go, to walk unworthy is to march into battle with a chink in your armor. We are unprepared without the breastplate of righteousness. But I want to say something else about that, and I believe it, it really, I think you'll get this too, because I think we're all in this situation. Without the breastplate of righteousness, we are unassured. We are unassured without it. We don't have assurance without it. God does not want timid warriors. He does not want warriors who cower in fear. He tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And my greatest times of doubt and fear are when I'm straying away from godly living. I feel like damaged goods. When I've been afflicted and assaulted by some besetting sin and I've given in to the temptation. You know, I don't really question my salvation. I don't question my relationship and my fellowship with God when I'm rejoicing in a church meeting like this. I feel close to Him now. It's when I'm out there in the world and I allow the world to slip into my life and I allow the devil to tempt me and I allow the flesh to take over and that's the times that I just feel like I can't really be fighting today. You ever felt like that? I, I felt like that where maybe I've, maybe I've reacted in some way I shouldn't to something that was said. And, and as, as we would say sometimes um, in the office, acted a fool. <laughs> you know, it takes me a while to recover from that. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm much of a warrior at that point. I'm struggling. I don't have that assurance. And I'm timid. And sometimes cowering in fear instead of engaging on the front lines of the battle. We are unassured and unprepared and unprotected without the breastplate of righteousness. All right, so finally, how do we put it on? How do we put it on? Well, we've been sort of talking about it all along. But, but the first thing is we need to be grounded in the truth. We need to be grounded in the truth. The breastplate must be fastened to the belt of truth. That is the word of God. Remember what he said in, in Romans 12, verse 1. He said, uh, he said I beseech you therefore, brethren, uh, by, the, uh, uh, by the mercies of God, that you present your, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's not telling you you've got to do that to go to heaven. He's telling you because you're going to heaven, it's just reasonable that you serve him. He's given you his righteousness. You ought to exercise it, you see. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Isn't it funny how so many things, just about everything comes back to staying in the word of God. You need to be grounded in the truth. How do you get grounded in the truth? By staying in the word of God. By staying in the church of God. 
You need to be grounded in the truth. You need to turn to God in times of temptation. You know, some people seem like they want to do battle, solo battle with the devil. I've never come out on the winning end of that fight. He's always gotten the best of me. Turn to God in the battle. In James, over in James, the, uh, James chapter 4 and verse, uh, verse 4, just to, for lack of time. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Now he's talking about a specific sin there, but that, that friendship with the world applies across the board. He says the friendship of the world is enmity with God. I'm not saying you have to move into a compound and wall yourself off from the world. I was, when I was over in England in 1989, I took a tour of a, little, of a little cathedral there, and there was a room in the upper area of this uh, of this cathedral and there was a window there that that faced down upon where the priest would be uh, bringing the sermon but there was no door there was a little opening in the back side of the room where they could slide food there was a nun who walled herself off there she wanted to be isolated from the world and she lived her life in that room where she could hear and see the uh, the activities and she could be given sustenance but she was walled off from the world and I'm thinking to myself boy she missed she missed that instruction about preaching the gospel to every creature and going out into the world and sharing the word. You see, it's not that extreme. You can't get away from the world, but you can be separated from the world. Notice what he says. He said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Now look at verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he goes on to tell us the things we should do to turn to God, to draw near to Him. Remember what he said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge Him and He will direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Over in Proverbs chapter 3. We need to turn to God in time of temptation. We need to guard our hearts. Remember Proverbs 4, verse 23, keep your heart, that's guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. I'll tell you something else, child of God, that'll help you. Avoid the snares. Avoid the snares. You know, the excessive entanglements of this world will drag you down. He tells us that in one place. He says, if you're going to be fighting in a battle, don't entangle yourself with the world. Don't get out there and, and be unequally yoked. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 6? Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, listen to what he says here. A very familiar passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know, that, that doesn't just mean we always apply it in marriage. And that certainly is the greatest way in which you can be unequally yoked with somebody. Uh, don't, don't marry somebody who's an unbeliever. But don't yoke yourself up in business with somebody who's an unbeliever. Don't yoke yourself up in your recreation with someone who's an unbeliever. 
He says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? You know, it would be, it would be foolish, would it not, to go to battle uh, against the enemy and have one of the enemy's soldiers standing right beside you in the battle. <laughs> Think about that. How much help would that be? You always have to be watching your side or watching your back. What if you had the enemy behind you here? There's no telling where he'd be, you see. What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Oh, I could preach on that forever. We don't have time for ye. Ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and be their God and they shall be my people. Now listen to verse 17. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You know, brethren, you ought not have to wonder when you look at me as to whether I'm a friend or an enemy. You ought not have to wonder when you look at me and my work. You know, I think here we all okay. We kind of look around and we say we're all on the same side. But when we go out tomorrow on Monday and we're out engaged in whatever activity we're engaged in, whether it's work or school or recreation or social activities or whatever it may be, you know, when you go to a ball game, they pan the they pan the TV across over there, and you know I'm just going to use I'm just going to use Alabama because that's where I'm from. You have crimson and white out there, and then suddenly at the Iron Bowl, you got right in the middle of it. You got orange and orange and blue. <laughs> that person in orange and blue, when the Iron Bowl is played in Tuscaloosa, he's in, and he's sitting right in the middle of a sea of crimson and white. <laughs> he's kind of I, I worry about him. Same thing if over in. Over in Auburn, if I went to the Iron Bowl in Auburn, and I, I think if I went to the Iron Bowl, even as an Alabama fan, I'd probably wear something that kind of covered that up because I'd be a little nervous. But here's my point. Don't surround yourself with the enemy. I know I'm kidding about that. We're not enemies. <laughs> we just, uh, it's just football. But uh, sometimes it looks like enemies. I get that. But it's just football. But, but in the war that we're in, in the battle we're in, do not surround yourself with enemies. Avoid the snares. Come out from among them and be ye separate. People ought to be able to see that you're separate. And ultimately, Colossians chapter 3 tells us to we have to mortify the flesh. Mortify. You know what mortify means? Mortify means to murder. That's what it means. You know, I thought the Bible said don't murder, Brother Chris. It, it, it means that when it comes to other people, but it doesn't mean that when it comes to your flesh. Mortify. Uh, Chapter 3 of Colossians and verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, and he names them here, going through them. What does it mean to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Be grounded in the truth. Attach that breastplate to the belt of truth. Turn to God as your help and hope in times of temptation. Guard your heart. Avoid the snares and excessive entanglements of life. And mortify the flesh. Is your heart right with God what that means is are you engaged daily in practical godly living because that's what we're called to do in this battle and if we don't have that breastplate of righteousness on if our hearts are not protected by the daily practical living we're going to be struggling in the battle now again we're never going to get it all right but see that's the beauty of the imputed righteousness of Christ Christ got it all right and since he got it all right he gives you the ability to strive to get it right. Let's pray that our hearts this week, I'm going to struggle to make it more right with God than I have in the past.
Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.